Welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate Rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 4, Episode 2, The Other Side. Other Side. Hey, guess what? You remember this one? I do remember this one. I love this episode. There is so much to unpack. So much to talk about. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. It is an excellent discussion piece if we have ever had one. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. This is, again, Mm -hmm. this is one of those episodes where if somebody just, like, mentions Stargate, this is one of those episodes that, like, immediately comes to mind Mm -hmm. that I think of because, yeah, it's this good one. Yeah. And this is a really good example of when we talk about at the end of seasons where we have best worst teachable moment. And, you know, I usually make fun of when sci-fi shows try to do this of like, I'm going to have this completely different thing happening, but it's strategically going to be talking exactly about something we all know, you know, like one of those things. And usually it's stupid and cheesy and, you know, like emancipation, like we talked about before. This one is a really good example of when it works. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into it. Okay. Um, quick thing before we get into it. Um, a couple weeks ago was the 25th anniversary of Stargate SG-1, and I sent out a tweet, and we got some new followers from that. Um, so if you're new and you found us through that tweet, because there was like a whole tweet storm that day, uh, welcome. Thank you for finding us. Hope you stick around, and uh, we hope you enjoy what we do here. Because we enjoy what we do here, and it's really We do enjoy what, what we do. do here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on to the episode. So this originally aired on July 7th, 2000. It was written by Brad Wright and directed by Peter DeLuise. And in this episode, a warring alien race offers to exchange their advanced technology for Earth's help in defeating their enemy. Ooh, yes. So the episode opens with Jack, who has seemingly just arrived on base when the alarm announcing an off-world activation starts blaring. And we see a group of airmen run by him on their way to the gate room. And the airman in the lead is, of course, in his cameo, Peter DeLuise, for every episode that he directs. And Yay. Jack kind of does like an about face and heads up into the control room. And there's something very interesting going on. This is the fifth incoming wormhole in the last hour and a half. And... No off-world team, no nothing. So this is somebody trying to contact us, which is very interesting. And Are we also supposed to be believing that Jack is returning from his fishing trip? Either that or it's just the end of the workday had happened and this is the start of the new workday. Yeah. I'm going to yeah, go ahead. Okay. So this is sort of like post their week off from whatever or something from I think so from from okay. the exchange that happens in this scene that's kind of where where my brain goes is they were supposed okay. to have some sort of leave okay that's very possible yeah mm-hmm. so yeah so this is the fifth incoming wormhole and whoever it is has finally actually sent a radio signal but unfortunately we can't quite decipher it because the frequencies are wrong to for like our equipment to be able to receive and play the radio signal and daniel comes running in and jack's like why are you here he's like this is very exciting how often does somebody try to call us like never so of course daniel's very very excited about what's happening Mm -hmm. and they do finally get the the tech all set up and we hear the following sort of coming through it says i repeat this is you're on the base have you reached the other side which oh holy crap the implications of that one sentence (laughs) 
So uh, they, they, whoever these people are, they've apparently been trying to send people through. And Sam gets on the mic and tells them not to send anybody else through the gate. But unfortunately, they haven't been able to match their frequency to be able to send it back. So they've been able to work it so we can hear, but they can't sort of then reverse that to send it back. And this is um, why Earth sends Malps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that people are not trying to get through possibly yes. going to their death. Right. And the, the guy on the other side continues talking and says his name is Alar. And then the following, he says, historians believe that this Stargate is a portal to the world of our ancestors. Your kindred are besieged by a powerful enemy unwilling to listen to reason. Our supplies are all but gone. Our defenses are on the verge of collapse. Help us, please. Which, so these people sound like they're definitely in, like, major distress at this point. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that point, the gate shuts down and Sam asks the gate tech how many impacts they had recorded. And uh, it's three. So there are apparently three dead people from Yoranda, which have impacted against the iris. And Sam is just devastated by it. And Jackson, you know, it's not your. Yeah. And Jackson, you know, it's not your fault. You didn't know. Nobody knew who who could have seen this coming. And Dan is just like, I'm going to go see if I can find anything about Yoranda as we cut to the opening credits. Which, yeah, it is a really sad thing to realize that's what happened. But at the same time, like, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, like the iris is there for a reason. And it's this reason because you never know who's coming through. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, so we come back from the opening credits and SG-1 and Hammond are up in the briefing room discussing what's been happening and what kind of help they might even be able to give these people. And Daniel's like, you know, food, clothing, medical supplies. And Tilk adds, it seems like they want military help, which we have no idea about the enemy that they're facing. And Tilk suggests even that this could perhaps be a ruse by the ghoul. Uh, but Sam doesn't agree with that. And Daniel adds that they refer to themselves as our kindred. And then there's another off-world activation. So, so here is where I have, like, really the biggest question that kind of carries to the rest of the episode is. Okay. Why have they not had a discussion thus far of let's imagine this situation what sort of assistance are we prepared to give let's figure that out ahead of time because during this whole episode it it seems like they've never had this talk before of hey somebody calls for help do we help what do we do and you're like all this stuff and it's like why i mean obviously if they obviously if they are going to other planets to acquire weapons technology or defense technology obviously those other cultures have those things because they've either needed to defend themselves or they've been needing weapons of some sort for a conflict so i it just baffles me that no like it at no point in time were they like hmm perhaps we should think about going deeper of do we just yeah stay out of it you know or do we just kind of you know don't ask don't tell we're just gonna you know stay out of it completely because that's basically what we ask other planets to do when we ask for help of like yeah in faith (laughs) yeah it's all based on what people tell us or what we tell other people we're gonna use these things for which is exactly why is it the tolan that are yeah that are the race that are like nope (laughs) you get nothing you get nothing because 
we don't know you. We have absolutely no idea what you would actually use these for. So we're staying out of it yeah. completely. And what Earth is actually asking people to do is just the don't ask, don't tell. We'll just, we don't know what you're using it for. We could tell you what we're using our stuff for, but you don't even know. So let's just yeah. not talk anything about it. I, I just, yeah, that's, that's my whole yeah. thing with this whole episode is I'm really surprised that they haven't had this discussion already. And it yeah. happens to unfold during this episode. Yeah. I mean, I do wonder if, I'm sure the military in general has provisions for if, say, another country comes to ask for help and what, you know, outside of an actual sort of war or armed conflict kind of thing, um, you know, that we're not already involved in. If somebody's just like, hey, we need help, there's probably provisions already outlined in whatever military protocols would be covered in that. So I wonder if they just kind of were just sort of assuming this will be fine and cover any situation we might have forgetting you're dealing with aliens, you know? Right. Yeah. So, so you think so it, far they had just only talked about like natural disaster type emergencies or, you know, yeah. acts of acts of God, if you will. Yeah. Cause I mean, like, we did sort of encounter that with the Tolan when we first met them, when, you know, their race was the planet was being destroyed by a volcano. We obviously gave them aid there and stuff. But again, that was just humanitarian aid and not war type assistance. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I'm, just, I'm just throwing it out there that like all, yeah. of all these brilliant military minds, how are <laughs> none of them like, what do I do if somebody wants us to help them fight? Hmm. <laughs> we just say no and head back home. Where do we draw the line? Do we not yeah. ask, don't ask, don't tell? We'll just exchange yeah. our knowledge and be done with it and we don't anymore know? Or do we just say, yeah. nope, we're not even touching that? Yeah. It, yeah, it is It is a very good question, yeah. Yeah. All right. So everybody heads back down to the control room and they've managed to get their tech configured to be able to send messages back now. So Hammond gets on the mic and conveys as best he can, like the hesitation that they have with offering assistance because they have no idea what's happening. And also the unfortunate news of the death of the three Eurondans who came through prior to this. Uh, and then finally, uh, this Alar person is able to send a video signal and we see that he is human like us. And this is of course the amazing Rene Aubergenois, AKA Odo from Deep Space Nine. And he's just absolutely perfect in this, I have to say. AKA the king of sci-fi, one of yes. them. He's yes. just in every sci-fi thing you love ever. He pops up at some point in time and he's amazing yep. in all of it. Yes. Yep. Yes. Love him. So they ask for some more information about the enemy, and all Alar says is that they used to coexist, but they have now taken over much of Yoranda's continent. And Alar and his people have managed to survive because the base that they're currently in is deep underground, and they do have defense shields and superior weaponry, but there's sort of more bombers making their way through every day. And it turns out they discovered the Stargate when they were digging the tunnels for the space, and it was covered with stones that had writings on it, which kind of sounds like the cover stones from like the original movie, and that that's how they got this address. And then there's sort of loud explosions heard over the audio or over the video, and Alar's like, I gotta go, we're getting attacked again. And then the video cuts out and the gate closes. But luckily, before the transmission ended, Alar did manage to send the coordinates for their planet. So up in the briefing room, it kind of seems like Daniel's gearing up to have to argue with Hammond for approval to go and actually give aid, but there's no need because Hammond approves them going on this mission. 
which I like whenever this happens. This has happened multiple times and it's funny every time. It doesn't get old. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel's like, you know, speaking very, you know, calmly and passionately about, you know, what's happening. And then Hammond's like, well, you know, I don't really know what you could do and blah, blah, blah. And Daniel's like, but generally he's like, you have a go. It's like, oh, okay. Thank you. So what now? (laughs) Yeah. Um, so is it sad to you when Daniel's like shocked when he gets his way? Cause it happens every time where he just fights and fights and fights and then he gets his way and he's like, what now? What? Yeah, I th- I just wonder if that's like, you know, coming from academia, especially in something like archaeology, where there's probably not a lot of like funding for his research in general. And he's probably used to having to fight like tooth and nail for like every single dollar and cent he was able to get for, you know, his study and research and stuff. So probably. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so the important thing to note here is that at this point, they'll only be going with humanitarian aid. So food, medical supplies, et cetera, et cetera. They can't really get themselves involved in the actual war that's happening. But then once everybody leaves the room to get all the humanitarian aid stuff ready, Hammond kind of like calls Jack back for a second. And it turns out that Hammond has talked with the president and the Joint Chiefs. And if these people are open to negotiations for advanced technology, SG-1 is approved to open those talks. Mm. It's, it's interesting that only Jack knows this. Keep that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> that is a very important in this episode. Jack is the only yeah. one who knows the sort of secondary mission that's happening here. So the gate is open. SG-1's prepped to go. Uh, Hammond tells them that they have 24 hours to report back or their GDOs will be locked out. Again, our memo should be (laughs) check in sooner. Check in sooner. Uh, Jack then looks at Tilk and says that he has that look about him. And Tilk's like, what look? And Daniel goes, the one that says I have misgivings about this mission, but deep down I know we're doing the right thing. And Jack's like, no, not that one, the other one. And Daniel just goes, oh. So what's the other, like, what? (laughs) I want to know what's the other look. What is he talking about? What is the other one? What's the other look? Um, I did, but anyway, so SG-1 arrive on Yoranda and they see Alar like on the floor, like right there near the gate with head wound. And he's obviously been knocked down. He's still conscious, but needs help because, you know, he's got that head wound that everybody gets in TV shows to indicate I have been wounded. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And there's like dust and debris falling from the ceiling. So the base is obviously still under attack. So they rush to give him help when armed guards run in yelling at SG-1. And Alar's like, no, these are the people we called for help. They're here. Don't, don't shoot them. They're the good guys. I promise. So Alar's being treated in his office, I think, is what this room is. Like, with the desk and the stuff. I yeah, think it's supposed that's to be sort what of I got, office. Okay. Yeah. And if you notice in the background, Jack is kind of playing with what looks like a globe of the planet, which I just thought was yeah. a nice touch. I saw like, that, I yeah. Have globes too. I like it. Yeah. Uh, and he's given an injection of a substance he calls beta cantin that apparently allows for immediate, really immediate recovery from I don't know any injury, but maybe at least minor injuries. So would you like a fun fact here? <laughs> yes, I would, of course. Okay. So beta cantin isn't a real thing, but beta cantenin is 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 a real protein that we have. And it's involved in the regulation of cell-to-cell adhesion, so the process by which cells interact and, like, attach to each other, and also uh, the process of copying segments of DNA into RNA. And then the, the sort of downside of this is that mutations in this protein are linked to a lot of types of cancer and heart disease. So 
that's kind of a downside to this, but that was, that was not a fun fact. That was a downer fact. I know, but I just thought it, cause you know, a lot of times they just like make up random words for like alien medicine and stuff. And it's just like gibberish, but yeah. this, they kind of like, it's not far off from an actual real thing. So that was a fun fact in quotes. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Temporarily fun, mm-hmm. but I liked it. Well done. Okay, thank you. Um, so they notice that while they're in this room, like the sort of bombing doesn't seem as extreme. And apparently this room is under an area of the shield that's stronger than the area where the gate is. And Alar starts to lead them out of the room to show them around when Tilk and Daniel arrive back to let them know that the supplies are being handed out. And Alar kind of stares at Tilk for a moment and is like, who are you? And so he's introducing you know, as Tilk. He's, you know, a member of our team, but no, he's not from Earth. Uh, he does explain it's likely his ancestors also came from Earth as Alar's people did. And Jack's like, yeah, he's part of our team. It's cool. And Alar just goes, is he? Huh. So this is, this is the first clue that something's a little maybe hinky here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On this with these people. Uh, so as they walk through the tunnels, uh, we see people showing Alar quite a bit of respect, which he says is because of his father. And Daniel asks, you know, why why haven't you tried to just evacuate through the Stargate? You know, it goes to other places. Why don't you just leave if you're under this, you know, horrible war and attack and living underground? And it's because of this place he leaves them, which is this giant stasis chamber where several thousand of the people of Yoranda are waiting in stasis because there aren't enough supplies and there's not enough room down in the tunnels for everybody. So... A bunch of people are in stasis to await the end of the war when they will be revived. So how many people do you suppose are out of stasis versus in stasis? A couple hundred maybe out of stasis. Yeah, like fighting the yeah. entire war yeah. <laughs> on behalf of everybody else. Yes, mm. that's what I think, yeah. Those odds do not look good. Uh, so Alar then takes them to the command center, and from here is where they actually fly whole squads whole squadrons of what are essentially drones, like remote aircraft to battle whoever this enemy is. And Jack asks about ground attacks and Alar says that hasn't happened in a very long time until it's like, why? It seems like they greatly outpower and outnumber you. Why have they not just completely overridden your landmass? And according to the woman who, uh, this is Pharrell, it's because the atmosphere is poisoned. Hmm. Uh, so, and Daniel's response to that is like, well, so what are you fighting over? Which, I mean, that's a little rude. I mean, I'm usually with Daniel, but that's just like, Billy, well, that's a little, I don't know about that little comment. Yeah, well, I mean, he's still trying to wrap his head around the whole, why aren't you evacuating yeah. scenario. Yeah. That way there's no more fighting, no more killing, no more death. You're just, right. hey, we'll go have our own planet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they then get a warning about an incoming enemy aircraft, and Alar offers up to let one of the members of SG-1 try this remote drone thing to let them shoot it down. And Pharrell assures them that it is an unmanned drone that's coming, like the enemy drone is also unmanned. And Alar is like, if you know how our technology works, that will help you give us stuff, right? So, like, Alar, Alar is hip to, like, what's going on. Like, he knows there needs to be, like, give and take in this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jack decides to go ahead and give it a go and he sits down in like this chair with this like plastic screen in it and gets the rundown of how it works from Pharrell and he's just like Carter Um, and basically it's 
<laughs> basically it's just like mind control like you think about what you want this craft to do and it will do it which is kind of mm-hmm. cool so yeah and the lighting effect that they do is pretty neat too yes with them driving yeah and uh, flying really flying yes i think flying would be the appropriate verb <laughs> for a plane. um so jack does and he shoots down the drone and he turns to the guy next to him. He's like, not bad, huh? And the other guy just kind of stares at him like a zombie. And apparently uh, this is Olan. And he's had uh, too many hours in the chair. And once that happens, you kind of just check out. A, check out, become a zombie kind of thing. And they're like, huh. And he's like, like one time use, you're fine. But it's just kind of like, okay. So there is like a down, like this isn't all like roses. Like there is some negative side to what seems to be amazing technology, which I, I like that they add that in. Like, it's not just, mm-hmm. here's this amazing thing and it's all good. It's like, no, yeah. it's, yeah. there's a little bit of give and take even with that. Yeah. He does describe it well though. It's saying like, it's from years of exposure to being in that yes. chair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it is apparently now dinner time, but first there will be a toast with some sort of wine type drink from which Tilk abstains as he does not drink alcohol. And that seems to make a lar. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't something we've heard before, but it does seem to make a lar sort of uncomfortable somehow. Like kind of like weird. You know, he was kind of like, I don't know if he maybe just thought it was rude or something. So just like a cultural norm, maybe we're doing a toast, even if you don't drink. Because Tilt didn't even like raise his glass and participate in it. I get not wanting to drink, but not even doing the sort of just cultural motions of this mm. thing. Maybe mm. could be seen as a little rude. I don't know. Yeah. I, at first, if like this, this is one of the few ones that I actually did remember. But if I didn't, my first instinct would be like, what is in the glass? <laughs> that's a good thought too that yeah. they wanted everyone to drink and Teal'c is not going to participate in whatever's whatever surprises lay in the glass but that did not that did not end up being anything no but so the Urandans are trying some of the MREs that SG1 brought and they're like this is delicious and Jack's like we got better food and Frill's just like well we've been surviving on hydroponic yeast for years now and Daniel's like oh is that what I'm eating <laughs> <laughs> so I mean leave it to Daniel to try the local cuisine that's just you know what he does so yeah yeah uh Sam then brings up their power consumption and yeah it's a lot but controlled fusion is a very efficient power source and they're like I'm sorry controlled fusion they're like yeah it don't isn't that what you you use? don't do that too? Like, you don't do that too um but unfortunately the the deuterium oxide they use for fuel is running low and Sam's like, that's heavy water. So I looked up some stuff about heavy water if you want to know some facts about heavy water. I would love to know some facts about heavy water. This really was the first time I had heard about it. Yeah, me too. Um, okay, so as Alar said, it's also called deuterium oxide. And the chemical signal is symbol is 2, 2H2O um, with like a 2 in like the superscript. Um, mm-hmm. And the 2H is just a heavier I- hydrogen isotope that gives the water different nuclear properties and also does increase the mass slightly and increases the density by about 11%, hence heavy water. It's literally physically heavier than Mm. normal water. One of the main differences between regular water and heavy water is that heavier water has a stronger bond between the hydrogen and oxygen molecules, which can cause significant differences in biochemical reactions. 
Uh, it was first produced in 1932, and after the discovery of nuclear fission in 1938, it became a key component in nuclear energy research. Uh, it's, it's an essential component in many reactors, both those that are just used to generate power and those that are used for nuclear weapons. And one big advantage of using heavy water in reactors is that they don't require the use of graphite rods to regulate the temperature of the unenriched uranium. And uh, did you watch the uh, the Chernobyl miniseries on HBO? No, although I heard it was amazing. It is very good. So they go into this a little bit, but that's important because that's what actually contributed sort of to the Chernobyl disaster and that they didn't use heavy water. They just mm-hmm. used regular water, which then was less stable and it exploded and kaboom and Chernobyl happened. So. And it's interesting that this is something that has to be created. Yeah. But apparently Not you just need like, but it's interesting that they say you do need seawater. So I don't know if it's something to do with like the salt, like you get hydrogen out of the salt and put it with the regular H2. I don't, I don't know. I didn't look into the manufacture of heavy water. Cause I was like, Hey, that's, I don't know. Yeah. But anyone out there knows. Yes. <laughs> if you have any chemists out there, maybe you should call my brother. He might know. <laughs> um, <laughs> just kind of, so tell me about heavy water. Hey, hey bro, like, you're a chemical what? engineer. How do you make heavy? I mean, he works with like aluminum, but maybe he knows what heavy water is. I don't know. No. Yeah. So, so anyway, so Sam starts to explain what heavy water is, and Jack's like, I know. So again, Jack is not an idiot. Jack is mm. a smart man, and he's like, and Earth would be very happy to provide it. And the Urandans are like, oh my God, it's a miracle. They're just so happy. And they're like, you, whatever you want to know, we'll give you everything. Weapons, the stasis chambers, the reactors, and yes, that medicine thing too. Yes, whatever you want, it's yours. If you can give us heavy water, you can get everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Magic, magic. And, yep. And Daniel just does not like this. Uh, Jack does not care that Daniel does not like this. And, well, it's not that he doesn't not care. He just doesn't want to talk about it in front of everyone, which I do have to agree with Jack on that point. Like, if you have, you don't let these new people you're trying to make an alliance with know that there's this sort of infighting thing happening because then they can maybe take advantage of that. Um, So, but Alar seems to kind of know exactly what Daniel's worried about and assures Daniel that the heavy water would be used simply to shore up their defenses. And then, yes, at some point strike back against their enemy. And again, Daniel's like, we're not providing what, like, we're not providing weapons. This is his objection. And he still doesn't really understand why these people don't just, like, pack up and leave to another world when theirs is in such disarray with the war and the poison atmosphere and everything. And, like, they're like, well, because everybody's in stasis. And he's like, so wake them up. And, like, I get where Daniel's coming from. And I'm usually on Daniel's side with stuff. But also, like, this is their home. Like... As far as we know, they were attacked unprovoked. We don't know what started everything at this point. And, you know, they say they can fix the atmosphere and they can end the war. Why should they be the ones that have to leave when they're the ones that have had their home attacked? You know? Yeah, at this point in time, sure. I I really didn't like Jack in these scenes, though, because although, yeah, some of the questions Daniel was asking was probably not worded the best which is Mm -hmm. weird coming from someone who is you know whose specialty is dealing with other cultures and the delicacy they're in but um but you know I I really didn't like Jack's attitude how he was just like Daniel shut up like 
Yeah. And, you know, he didn't say it, but he was saying it. And I just kept thinking overall, like Daniel's entire purpose for being there is to ask the questions, to yes. have the other point of view, to learn these things, to explore the situation and everything that's going on. And if they didn't want those questions asked, why was he allowed to be there? Like he should have been held back from the mission right. if the mission was just make the deal right yeah yeah so yeah jack keeps you know trying to butt in and getting daniel to shut up without actually saying the word shut up and then Mm -hmm. luckily they're kind of saved by an incoming attack (laughs) (laughs) luckily they were bombed (laughs) luckily the place gets bombed so this conversation gets cut short at least with the urandans in the room so yeah so the urandans all excuse themselves to the war room and while sg1 continues their discussion and now like this this scene this scene after the Urandans leave and it's just SG-1 in the room. Oh my God. It's just... Oh, Jack. Oh. Oh, it's so pivotal in like Jack and Daniel's relationship and I know I've used it a few times in various bits I've made. I know everybody uses it in the scene later, which we'll get to. It's just, yeah. This this scene. So good. I love it. Yeah, it's it's really interesting and I, yeah, no, I, I do not like Jack and pretty much I do not agree with any of his choices, like, throughout this entire episode. Right. But, I mean, I think you have to keep in mind that Jack is a military person. So, he's used to operating under very specific parameters and circumstances where he's given an order, he follows the order. He does not question anything. That is not his job. His job is to do what he is told. Right. Which and again, now, I would say Daniel shouldn't have been there if they didn't want if they didn't want Daniel's brain in the room. Yeah. Um, so like so Daniel keeps trying to get Jack to listen, and Jack interrupts and asks Sam to clarify what their standing orders are, which I think this is the first time we actually get what the official standing orders of the SGC are. Because I think this is for mm-hmm. all of the SGC, not just SG1. Uh, right. So Sam they says, say it like it's common knowledge. Yeah. So Sam says to seek new allies and procure technologies to aid in the defense against the Gould, mm-hmm. which sure, but they came here specifically to help. Like that is all we are here for. We are here to help. And it looks like, aren't we doing that? And Daniel goes, no, their whole world is in flames and we are offering them gasoline. How is that help? And Tilt goes, we are in fact offering water. And Jack's like, don't talk in metaphors because Tilt doesn't get it. <laughs> which <laughs> I, like I mean, way. it's unfair to Tilt. I know, which I mean, as heavy as this scene is that that just that little joke kind of right in the middle here does help kind of keep it from becoming too bogged down, which is nice. Um, But anyway, but like the decision's been made. Jack orders Sam to go back to the SGC with Daniel, tell him and what's going on, get the heavy water. Daniel accuses Jack of taking advantage of the situation, which like, yeah, of course I am. They're giving us everything we've wanted are for the last three years they're giving us everything we've been looking for we're giving them what they want they're giving us what we want where's the problem and daniel just yells you know that this conversation isn't over and jack's like it's never over with you to which daniel insists that it isn't about him and jack goes do you even realize what they're offering and daniel goes at what price i just and just like the look between them and that little exchange at the end is just like mm, it's yeah, so I know, good. It's- so, they're so good. Michael and Rick are just, they're so good at their jobs, and I love them so much. Beautiful character development. But also, it you know, it goes back to my point of, like, how is it they haven't had this conversation yet, like, back at the SGC? Yeah. Like, how is this yeah. just coming to a head now? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. In the middle so, of being a guest in somebody else's house, if you will. Yeah. And I think some, like, some of what's leading to Jack's just utter irritation at Daniel is that Daniel was doing this in front of the Eurondans. If mm-hmm. Daniel had waited till they were gone, maybe not so much, but still a little bit. But I think just sort of the airing of the dirty laundry in front of the guests or, well, their hosts, I guess their SG-1 is the guests, um, yeah. just sort of really rub Jack the wrong way. Yeah, you, I, that does surprise me when Daniel does that a little bit, because as, as an archaeologist who specializes in cultures and people, you think he'd be better at, like, reading the room? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also, he's yeah. very stubborn and bullheaded, and when he gets something, like, stuck uh-huh. in his craw, he's just, he's just running full charge with it, so. Mm-hmm. So, Jack storms off to see what he can do to help, and Tilk follows, and Sam just kind of stands there awkwardly, awkwardly like, I don't know what to do with myself right now. And then Daniel just storms off past her. And so she finally follows. And Sam and Daniel are back at the SGC and they meet up with him in, in the control room. And Sam, Sam also tells Daniel though, that she agrees with Jack, but again, soldier versus civilian, different perspectives. So, but I think, but it is interesting to see where Sam is falling on mm-hmm. this argument. Uh, she lets Hammond know that the Urandans have agreed to share all of their technology in exchange for heavy water. And Hammond's like, what do they want it for? And Tanya's like, yes, thank you for asking that question. Thank you. Why are we not yeah. asking that question? And Sam mentions that, you know, it contains deuter- deuterium. And Hammond's like, oh, they can make nuclear weapons with that. And Sam's like, but no, they just want it to power their reactors. So Hammond sends Siler off to, I guess, go get some heavy water that they have on hand at the SGC. I don't know how common that is to just have around. I know. Maybe they know. use it on the base. We don't know. Maybe for something. The, Who knows? I don't know. We never um, also really get Teal's opinion of the whole matter, do we? He just kind of is there. Not, yeah. That would have been I do kind of wish. Yeah. Had, had somebody like Daniel having a conversation with Tilk about this, I think would have mm-hmm. been nice. You know? Yeah. Uh, Hammond then notices that Daniel doesn't really seem too thrilled about this whole thing. And Daniel just brings back up what Hammond said before they left about not doing anything that would directly impact the war to which Hammond says he was, he was referring to like, like arming them and like additional soldiers and munitions and weapons. And it wasn't really a sort of morality question. And so, okay, but providing the heavy water that would allow them to attack the enemy is okay. I mean, you not, might not be giving them weapons, but you're giving them stuff that allow them to make weapons. Yeah, like, you're not giving them the gun, but you are giving them the bullets. Yeah. Mm. And Hammond just like, remember that Apophis is still out there? Like, he's alive. We need to be prepared if he should attack, which Daniel, like, of all people, Daniel gets that Apophis is still <laughs> a threat. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need to remind Daniel about that. But then Daniel makes the really good point that they don't actually know anything about the enemy or why this war started or what the war is even about. And Sam's kind of like, yeah, that's a good yeah. question. Yeah. yeah. Nobody thought about that before. <sighs> yeah. Uh, that's why Daniel's there to yeah. ask that question. I'm going to keep coming back to it. So back on Yoranda, Jack and Tilk are in the war room watching over what's happening and they seem to be getting over one. So Jack volunteers himself and Tilk as pilot to help out. And Daniel and Sam have then returned with some heavy water. It's not a lot, but they thought it would be best to return with the little bit that they have now with the promise that more is coming. 
and Alar orders it to be added to the reactors to strengthen the shields. And in the meantime, Daniel has some questions and they're like, yes, yes, you'll get all our stuff in exchange. Please, they're, we're like under attack. I'll get back to you later. It's like, that's not what Daniel's question is, but okay. We then have a sort of quick shot of Jack and Tilk trying to take down the enemy bombers. And Alar then shows Daniel and Sam the shield generators. And we do kind of actually see it sort of getting bumped up by the heavy water that has been brought. But it lasts like a few hours, he says. You know what is also interesting about this whole thing is being underground Mm -hmm. and the fact that those fighter simulators are also underground and stuff and only like project an image and stuff like... In the grand scheme of things, really the entire thing could just be one big ruse. I mean, it could be. What they want. Because, yeah, it is all just projections and screens and stuff. And under, yeah. yeah. I mean, theoretically, we don't know. Could be. But I guess, how, how do you fake the actual shaking from bombs falling and dust falling from the ceiling? I mean, if it's underground, it can be done with, you know, some sort of simulator or something. Like, we don't know how long it could have taken them to <laughs> prepare for this. Uh, do we need to get in touch with their interior designers then? <laughs> <laughs> we can simulate an attack at any time. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Um, I, I just ha- thought that was interesting that, like, at no point in time did anyone ever, I mean, obviously they couldn't see the surface because it was poison. So they say. So they say, yeah. And they never actually saw anything except for what they were told. Very true. Yes. Yes. Just saying. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so back with Jack, he's chasing after another bomber and manages to catch up with it. And as he goes to take it out, like sort of like he shoots it and it starts to go down and it kind of spins around and crashes back into the ship. Jack was flying, and, like, just before impact, you could see that there was a person in there. And this kind of pisses Jack off, because he's like, you said they were unmanned. And Pharrell is like, no, the drone from earlier was unmanned, but their actual fighter planes are manned. But she's like, thank you so much. You just took out our enemy. Great job. And Jack's kind of like, I don't feel too good about that. I'm glad they didn't lie, though. Yes. And she's like... I didn't, I didn't say that. I said the other one was unmanned. This one had people in it. Yeah. I think that is something like throughout this whole thing, the Eurondans don't lie about anything, Mm -hmm. which is, they maybe leave some truths out, but they never straight up lie. Right. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So back in the dining room, the Urandans propose a toast with he is remembered. And apparently this is said in honor of Alar's father and Tilk and Alar kind of share this look for a moment. And there's some like, they're kind of, that tension is still there between them for Mm -hmm. some reason. And Alar then continues that, you know, they should formalize the alliance between their people. And as long as Earth provides as much heavy water as they need, Yorondo will fulfill their promise of sharing all their technology and medicine, etc. And Sam does some quick mental calculations with what Alar had said they need. Apparently, they will need to provide several metric tons of heavy water a year, which seems like, like a lot. lot. That seems like a lot. Um, well... Before they get into actually formalizing this alliance, Daniel has some questions. And before Jack can get all huffy, Sam's like, Hammond wants answers to these questions, too. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, Daniel asks how the war starts. And so Alar says, the first enemy bombs fell on Yoranda in a surprise attack. I was a boy of nine. I remember that night. I remember the floor of the room in which my father had sequestered me shook with each explosion. I remember knowing that each bomb that got through meant that another building, another home, another street in the city above me was gone. That is how this war began, doctor. Which really doesn't say anything. Yeah, it absolutely answers it says nothing. It says, says nothing about. And you know he did that exactly on purpose. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. And and Daniel's like, and we only have your word on that. And then Alar brings up the three dead Urandan that, you know, splatted against the iris. And Daniel's like, that was an accident. And Alar's like, and we only have your word on that, which. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. So Daniel then asks some questions like, to understand more about their enemy, like who who actually is your enemy? Who are we actually fighting here? And Alard like does not answer and just seems aghast that such a thing would be part of negotiating. And Jack's like, it's not. And Daniel's like, just answer the question. To which Jack goes, Daniel, shut up. It's like, oof. Okay. Really? No. So, yeah, I really didn't like Jack in that scene. Nope. 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 No. So Sam tells Jack, you know, if he's going to go back to talk with Hammond to sort of get this whole treaty thing going, she wants to stay just at the reactor, which he's like, fine. So she and Alar head off. And then Jack and Daniel just kind of stare at each other for a moment. And so eventually everyone follows um, back down the hall towards the gate with Alar congratulating Jack on his earlier success at taking out an enemy bomber. And he then tells Jack that while he's looking forward to his return, it might be best if Tilk didn't come back with them. And Jack's like, why? He said like two words the whole time. And Alar's like, it's not what he said. It's what he is. And Jack's like, well, yeah, he's different. I'll grant you that. And Alar goes, not like us. Like, oh, he's a racist. Hmm. Got it. Now we know what's going on. He's a racist. Ah, shit. Damn it. Hmm. So Sam continues on with Alar to the reactors and Daniel starts dialing the DHD and Jack reaches out and grabs his hand, which this is the other scene that gets used in every like Jack and Daniel video ever because, oh my God, mm. they're touching. <laughs> 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 Jack's like, we're not going. And he's like, me and Tilk are going to look around. Daniel, you go ask questions. And Daniel's like, I thought you didn't want me to ask questions. And Jack's like, I know what I said, Daniel. It was rude, short-sighted, and I'm sorry. Which... Yay, Jack, good on you for apologizing. And once you, he realizes what's going on, he's like, okay, there we need, we really do need the full story of what's going on here. Which so. I don't, uh, I mean, yay, but yes. at the same time, like that one comment is going to all of a sudden create this epiphany of like, uh, like, I don't, uh, I don't. <laughs> Because Jack is a very smart man. Well, I know. But then how did he not see something was weird before that all of a sudden that one comment and he's just like, oh, hold on. Because I think he didn't. I think he noticed, but he just shoved it to the back of his mind so he didn't have to think about it because they were like this close to getting like technology that could save their yeah. planet from obliteration. So yeah, I think it was very, always very much don't ask, don't tell. And then they told and he was like, damn it. Shit. Why'd you have to say anything, Alar? We could have been friends. No, yeah. we can't. Yeah. Nah. Um, we could have been frenemies. <laughs> 
So Sam's getting a rundown of the reactors and the underground facility in general. And it kind of seems like what she's seeing isn't making a whole lot of sense with what they've been told to this point. Like with how big this place is, they had to start building all the tunnels and the infrastructure way before the war even actually started. And Alar's like, yeah, this whole thing was inevitable. We'll just stay underground until the atmosphere is restored and then it'll be all fine. And so Jack and Tilk are walking around and Jack asks Tilk what he thinks of Alar and Tilk is sure that, you know, he's hiding something. And Jack asks what that is, to which the response can only be, I am unsure he is concealing it. <laughs> which, yep. I don't know. Mm-hmm. He's hiding it. I he's, hiding. he's hiding. He's hiding it. Exactly. Um, So it turns out they've made their way back to the stasis chamber. And after zatting the doors open, Jack starts sort of flipping through pictures of all the people that are on the computer display thing. And they're all exactly the same looking. They're just all blonde haired, blue eyed white people. Yep. And of course, of course, this draws parallels to the holocaust unfortunately but yes, yeah what this is what is it's evoking all of the signs are pointing yeah. to this is where the sci-fi show is taking us of teaching about this yep yep <sighs> so Daniel's right down one... yeah right down to gassing people just yep there's mm-hmm. no they're yeah they're not even hiding it <laughs> nope nope now that we know what's going on it's like okay so uh, Daniel's found his way back to the dining room and Farrell is there with a couple other Yorondans and he um, he asks her about the enemy, like, like what do you call them? Like, I'm American, my grandfather was Dutch. And Farrell is like, oh, sometimes we call them breeders because of how they reproduce with no regard for genetic purity. So just in case you weren't quite sure what was going on, here it is spelled out in black and white. Mm-hmm. And Daniel's like, oh, so they come in like, all shapes and sizes and she's like yes and he's like colors too she, and he's she's like oh my god yes all colors you it's like oh oh boy yeah. <sighs> uh, oh. and yeah daniel does kind of keep it together like oh okay oh okay that's mm-hmm. interesting right. yep so yeah. what do they clone themselves i know i don't think i don't think it's cloning i think it's just selective reproduction finding people who have slim, similar genetic makeup and physical characteristics and only letting like, allowing them to reproduce like with ancient like ancient uh europeans do with keeping it all in the family yeah yeah, yeah. something like that yeah i mean yeah. who knows how they even started with the whole selective reproduction thing but yeah something like that i know yeah so Sam's still like in the war room looking at the the blueprints layout, whatever, when Alar comes in with uh, the cylinder shaped thing with a bunch of like crystal rods in it that apparently holds all of the technical spec technical specs for all of their stuff. And uh, while she's looking at the plan, she's like, you said the surface was poison. So why do these pipes from underground here go up to the surface? That doesn't make any sense because that would be like letting the poison in, right? So, but before Alar can respond, they're once again under attack. Mm-hmm. So Daniel finds Jack and Tilk and is certain that the Urandans are the ones that started this whole war business. And they all head to the war room where Alar asks about the heavy water. And Jack's like, it's been delayed. And Jack again, though, offers his and Tilk's help with the bombers. And Sam speaks up and accuses Alar basically of 
while the enemy may have started this war, it was done because like as a preemptive strike against the Eurondans because the Eurondans were about to do something else. And mm-hmm. Alarge is like, there's no time for this. We're under attack. And so Sam goes to tell Daniel what she's learned about like the history of the facility and about the pipes and like those pipes are the source of the poison in the atmosphere. Like they didn't just do it once and it's gone. It's like a continual thing. And so Alar then tells them it was his vision. My father saw that breeders were spreading across the face of Yoranda like a plague, millions of them. We don't know how so many of them managed to survive, but they do in spite of our best efforts. Yeah. Wow. Okay. This is a war that's been going on for at least what, like 50, 60 years. Um, it's the well, initial attack when he was nine. Yeah, I would say, yeah, he's like mid to late 50s. I don't know yeah. exactly how old Renee is, but he looks like sort of like mid to late 50s. So I'd say, yeah, like at least 45 to 50 years, something yeah, like that. Yeah, they mentioned it's been going on for like a so, whole generation. So holy crap. Yeah, yeah. Okay, then. And so Alar then... D- basically demands more fuel, more heavy water. And Daniel's like, uh, nope, not going to do that. So Alar yells for guards who train their weapons on Sam and Daniel. And then we cut to Jack and Tilk and see what they're up to. And it turns out they're actually escorting the quote-unquote enemy bombers to the Eurondon base and firing on the other Eurondon aircraft themselves. And they try to get Tilk and Jack out of the bombing chairs, but Sam and Daniel manage to overpower them and take them down and draw their own weapons. And Tilk's ship has crashed, I think, and so Tilk gets disconnected. So he jumps out of his chair and grabs Alar, who's about to shoot Jack. And he just basically, like, grabs Alar's hand and grabs the gun and, like, crushes Alar's hand. And Alar's down on the floor now, and Jack aims his squadron of ships at who's piloting to the ground that's directly above the facility, and kaboom, kablooey. So the ceiling starts falling down, and Pharrell is crushed by debris. And here I do have to mention, uh, this actress is actually Peter DeLuise's girlfriend and now wife, so Peter got to kill his girlfriend. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And Alar is like, how could you do this to us? And Jack's like, don't follow us. And so SG-1 hook it back to the gate. Daniel gets it dialed and he and Tilk head through while Sam and Jack start returning fire on the Eurondans that had followed them and started firing on them. And Delar finally makes it to the gate room, hallway, whatever you want to call it, and pleads with Jack to be allowed to go with them. And Jack just kind of stares at him before heading through the gate himself with Sam. And back on Earth, Sam steps through and immediately like turns with her gun up in case Alar does follow. Jack just calmly steps through and tells them to close the iris. So it closes, and then we hear the thud of Alar impacting against the iris. So, uh, Jack's face, too. Yeah. Of like, he knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. My question to you on this, though did Alar die by murder or by suicide? Because Jack, because Alar knew what happened to his people before that they had died because of this iris that we have. Jack told him not to follow. He probably knew what was going to happen. So was this murder or was this suicide? Ah, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't really know if it's we can. either because, um, I mean, Jack didn't willingly kill him. He told him, don't follow us. 
and, right. you know, prevented him from coming. So I don't know if it's murder, but it's not, I don't think that Alar, I don't think it was suicide at all. I think, okay. I mean, they told him, yeah, we have this thing, but I'm sure he thought that he could just like run through and be like, no, 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 stop, whatever. And, you know, like try to negotiate. I don't think okay. he expected to die. Okay. 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 Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, so General Hammond was like, so you weren't successful with the whole technology thing? And Jack's like, no, but I wouldn't be too worried about it or too upset about it. And we end with sort of this Sam kind of just like staring back at Jack too with like, what did you do? Like, holy crap, you just did that. Yeah. And that is the end. Now, oh. That was... The other side. I still, yeah, I love this episode a lot. It's one yeah, of my favorites. It's a very beautiful discussion piece. It is, very it. much. I don't think people are going to want to listen to us discussing it for another three hours, but we totally <laughs> could. We very much could. No. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, me- memos for this week? Do we have any? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I mean, really, what bugged me about this more was that I was so surprised that they had not had a discussion about the scenario before they went to a planet where it was, like, actually happening. I don't, so <laughs> I feel like somewhere gonna... in there should have been, like, possible scenarios of encountering other species or other beings. <laughs> so have discussion about aid before the situation actually happens? Yeah. I'm sure there's a snappier way to say that. Let Daniel ask questions. Yes. Yeah. Ask the questions, Daniel. No touchy, more talking. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't really a lot of touching this week to like slap Daniel's hand against. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. So the title for this week, the other side. I think this has to do with like Daniel's argument of like wanting to know what the other side of the story is about how the war started and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only one sort of different foreign territory title. Everything was basically just the other side. Although in German, they actually went with the full, the other side of the coin Mm. for that. How Um, successful do you suppose this episode was to German audiences? Oh, oh, Uh, I mean, honestly, probably pretty well because. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I think it played because like the Ger- the Germans know they know, uh, and you know, would be like yes, mm-hmm, yeah. I think it went over pretty well there. I would say yeah. there's because yeah. there's no way to not pick up on you know there's no way to not catch what they're throwing with this episode. Yeah, and the yeah. and the ever controversial discussion point of when do you get involved in somebody else's war? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, which you know was and. Very complicated question indeed, which was pretty much Daniel's point the entire time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I do like the the sort of the reveal of who the Urandans really are was sort of slow and very natural. It wasn't like, we are racist. It was just like, this is what we believe. This is why the war started. This is this. And it's just, this is how these people believe and behave and what they think. And it's just, it's just fact. It's not any sort of like radical idea or anything. Even, you know, when like Pharrell is talking about it, it's just sort of like, obviously this is the way things are supposed to go. Like mm-hmm. it's that there, it's not, there's no real sort of like hammer over the head really 
of the sort of the teaching yeah. moment, quote unquote, as you like to call right. it. Which, yeah, which a lot of sci-fis do, unfortunately. This this was nice. Yeah. So we like this one. What do you guys think? Let us know. There's maybe any controversial opinions out there. Probably not. But you never know. Um, yeah. Oh, also, um, so speaking of feedback, if you do send feedback, just a heads up. It might be a few weeks before we get to it because we're pre-recording a few episodes since I'm going on vacation at the end of the month. Um, but please do still send feedback, which you can do by finding us on Twitter at SG underscore rewatch or send us an email at woo. That's W-O-O-S-G rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for Upgrades. Bye. Bye.